The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Good morning. It's Wednesday, the 31st of January here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Microsoft and Alphabet beat expectations with their earnings, but fail to excite investors with their AI offerings. A US judge strikes down Elon Musk's $55 billion Tesla pay package. And the $2.6 billion experiment to cover up Europe's dirty habit. We look at the plan in Norway to bury industrial pollution under the sea. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. Despite posting results that beat expectations, shares in Microsoft and Google parent Alphabet dropped after market. The tech giants are struggling to meet investor expectations on what AI advances can deliver in the short term. At Microsoft, revenue increased at the fastest rate since 2022. Our tech reporter Jackie Davalos says that AI products helped to drive cloud computing growth, but traders wanted more. Azure growth has seen some sluggish quarters in previous periods. It looks like it's starting to recover, in part due to that AI-related growth. But investors are looking for a little bit more of a boost. When you think about just how much excitement has been baked into AI, they're looking for a little bit more. We were seeing 50 to 60 percent growth in the heyday during that post-pandemic period when cloud computing was really on a tear. And that's come down quite a bit. Bloomberg's Jackie Davalos speaking there as Microsoft reported a 24% rise in revenue for its commercial cloud computing business. At Alphabet, quarterly results also raised investor concerns, even as earnings beat estimates. Sales excluding partner payouts jumped by 15%, but a narrow revenue miss for the core Google search business drove shares lower in after-hours trading. Co-host of Bloomberg Technology, Ed Ludlow, says the rise of generative AI has enabled companies to challenge Alphabet's market dominance in the space. One thesis or idea is that maybe the the street's concern about weakness in the search business is they don't yet see tangible evidence that all of the R&D and work in generative AI and all of the product release is actually doing anything supportive to, to Google's core business. Compare and contrast that with Microsoft, where you see the contribution of AI across its kind of legacy and newer offerings and, and software suites. It's, it's clearly seeing a top and bottom line effect. Ed Ludlow's analysis comes after high expectations for Alphabet's AI efforts pushed the stock up by almost 60% over the past year to a near $2 trillion valuation. European banking giant Santander has reported better than expected results for the fourth quarter. Net income at the Spanish lender came in at 2.9 billion euros. That's 370 million euros more than what analysts were expecting, whilst net interest income also beat expectations at over 11.1 billion euros. The bank says that it is now targeting single-digit revenue growth for this year and a return on tangible equity of 16%. UBS has cut a group of senior bankers, according to people familiar with the matter. Senior figures departing the Swiss firm include the global head of technology and two vice chairmen. Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet has the details. It comes as the financial giant reduces its headcount following last year's takeover of former rival Credit Suisse. The sources say the Zurich-based firm made several of the cuts last week. 
UBS's workforce jumped to about 120,000 when the Credit Suisse deal closed in June, and the bank has said it aims to save around $6 billion in staff costs in coming years. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Radio. Elon Musk's $55 billion Tesla pay package has been voided by a court following a shareholder challenge. If the decision survives appeal, it could threaten the entrepreneur's fortune and throw the fate of his companies into question. Musk's 2018 award was the largest compensation package in history, helping him occupy the number one spot on Bloomberg's Billionaires Index for most of the last two years. Tesla's board will now need to agree on new payment terms for their CEO. The Federal Reserve meets today as markets ask when the central bank will declare its fight against inflation over. Investors expect Jerome Powell to hold rates steady for a fourth straight meeting. Bloomberg's Fed editor Kate Davidson sums up what we've heard from the FOMC. The sense is that from what we've heard and probably what we'll hear, there's, they're just not in a huge rush. They're not seeing a, a, you know, anything concerning, any big reason to compel them to go earlier. For Davidson, the key question is how the Fed chair is thinking about where rates will go in spring. Investors see a roughly 40% chance that the central bank will lower rates for the first time in March. The International Monetary Fund is warning Chancellor Jeremy Hunt that cutting taxes would be bad for the UK economy. The fund sees Britain's economy growing at 0.6% this year and 1.6% in 2025. But Chief Economist Pierre-Olivier Gorincha says that Britain's high public debt is a problem. There is a need to put in place medium-term fiscal plans that will uh, accommodate a very significant increase in spending pressures. We would advise against further discretionary tax cuts as envisioned or discussed now. An IMF spokesperson went one further than Gorincha, saying that the UK should actually be raising taxes. The US-based institution last intervened uh, in the UK in terms of government policy in 2022, when it openly criticised then-Prime Minister Liz Truss's disastrous mini-budget. Now, in a moment, we'll discuss the latest tech earnings and why investors seem to have been so disappointed. Plus, we'll bring you details of a multi-billion Uh, Euro project to store captured carbon off the Norwegian coast. But another story caught our eye this morning. Maybe winter, but we're already thinking about uh, another heat wave for the I'm summer. Sweating, I'm thinking about it in advance. This is a report from the Environmental Audit Committee here in the UK saying the government's doing little to prepare for hotter summers and the consequences of more frequent heat waves. Last year, of course, the warmest on record in the UK. The Met Office already expects 2024 to be even hotter. The report saying that more than 4.6 million English homes experience summertime overheating and around 90% of the existing homes will get too hot in a scenario where global temperatures rise by two degrees. Yeah, the issue though with this, and it has been for a long time, is who pays for um, upgrading the UK's rather ancient housing stock? I mean, some of the solutions put forward, installing shutters is almost unheard of in the UK, really increasing the size of green spaces, also using things like reflective paint on roofs, but little of these have been rolled out uh, in uh, at any scale. This pointed out by the committee chairman, Philip Dunn. 
Yeah, something definitely to watch as we think about the warmer times ahead to come this year. Let's get more now, though, on the raft of tech earnings that we've had out. Investors uh, not impressed with some of what they heard from Microsoft, Alphabet and AMD, despite them reporting strong numbers and further embracing it of, of artificial intelligence. Bloomberg TV anchor Kriti Gupta is with us for more on this. Kriti, what is going on here? Microsoft posted beats across the board. Alphabet's highest quarterly revenue and profits in its history. AMD's sales forecast this quarter. OK, it was softer than expected, but still strong growth prospects. Investors just want these are very different companies. Let's start with Microsoft. Microsoft, their main kind of growth driver is their cloud business. It's their Azure business. They posted about a 30% growth. 28% was the estimate there. But the problem here is for a lot of this artificial intelligence kind of pickup and this boost, you have to look at what company is most positioned to take big most advantage of it. So it's not just a story about do we are we investing in AI or in Microsoft's case, how much of their investment is going into open AI in particular. Remember, they have a 49% stake in that company um, backing Sam Altman there. But it's also a question of what kind of products do they offer that actually can make AI become a bit more commercial. And that's where Microsoft really has the edge here. The problem is a lot of that is priced in. And that's why you only actually saw, despite the numbers, they weren't blowout numbers. They just kind of came in line with expectations. Asia coming in... um, hotter than expected, but not as hot as perhaps, to your point, investors wanted. Alphabet is a similar story in that has came out with really good quarterly revenue. Their cloud numbers were really strong as well. But at the end of the day, you need to look at their advertising revenue. Google, um, in particular, their YouTube business, it's very exposed to the cyclicality of the U.S. economy. So if you start to see a slowdown in business investment, a slowdown in marketing or ad spend, for example, that's directly going to hit Alphabet more than it does any of the other uh, magnificent seven companies as well. And AMD is, well, that's one's really simple. That's the simple forecast story where, where you do see them really just get punished right off the bat. But again, three different stories. But I think the takeaway here is that there's been so much optimism already. These are the stocks that have driven the S&P 500 to a record high. To me, this looks more like positioning than fundamentals driven. Okay, that's interesting. Um, on the businesses, though, is there a risk here for Alphabet? Microsoft has taken the lead on AI. I see lots of headlines about you know Microsoft being back. Is there some softness in its core search ad business? There is. There is. There's a little bit. Um, It's not as expected. So basically, the way you have to look at tech earnings is, um, and this is almost kind of a a nuanced approach, but basically you say, not only did they meet their earnings, did they forecast something even better? Did they surprise you in some way? The problem is the market's gotten so used to those expectations. So I think one of the big takeaways here for Alphabet in particular is there was a lot of scrutiny on uh, their cloud business, because if you'll remember, Microsoft is the leader in cloud right next to uh, Amazon, Amazon Web Services, so AWS. And if you think about what products actually position these companies really well for this kind of take up of AI, it's the cloud businesses mm. in particular. So that's why Microsoft and Amazon kind of have that edge. And, and you can see that in the share price that even though Microsoft didn't impress, the shares didn't drop that substantially after hours. They were only down three tenths of 1% by the end of uh, US after hours trading. To talk about a little bit more about Alphabet in particular, it's that their cloud business is still developing. They are not the leadership in cloud. They're trying to get there, but they're competing with the likes of Oracle, for example, for market share, because this is a really, really hard market to actually break into. Um, and that's where Microsoft has the edge. Can I ask you, uh, 
to, to about another story that we're following this morning right? Elon Musk this court ruling in Delaware striking down his Tesla pay package after a shareholder challenge what happened? So a couple of things here that our international audience needs to know is first off most companies are incorporated in Delaware simply because it is a tax friendly state um, and because they are known for speedy decisions like this one Elon Musk basically had a $55 billion pay package a lot of that was tied to stock options um, and, and that makes sense he's building a company Tesla stock is going through the roof he has historically um, sold stock to famously by Twitter, now named X. So one of the big questions was, is the $55 billion really justified for that? And a, a shareholder had brought this up and filed a petition saying that this is not justified, given he hasn't fully disclosed his conflicts of interest and that the pay negotiations weren't fully a negotiation. Um, and that was something that came up in this court order as well. So now it looks like he will not be getting the full $55 billion because a Delaware judge, who, by the way, is the same judge that basically made him by Twitter when he tried to say that Twitter was not being honest about some of the numbers, um, basically now is saying that we have to go right back and renegotiate that pay package. Okay, well, Kriti Gupta, we will watch the developments in that story with interest and what legal challenges um, may follow as well. Um, Kriti Gupta, Bloomberg TV anchor there for joining us. Thank you. The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. you. Let's go to Norway for our next story and a $2.6 billion project for a network of carbon storage tanks buried under the North Sea. It's a plan that's won the backing of Germany's government and could pave the way for a new international trade in industrial emissions. Joining us now is Carrie Lundgren, who covers oil, gas and renewables for Bloomberg. Carrie, great to have you with us. What made you, first of all, want to write about carbon capture and storage in Norway? Well, you know, it's about uh, a little over a year ago now, last January, I was uh, the German vice chancellor, Robert Habeck, came to Norway and was visiting. And he and the energy minister went to visit the cement plant south of Oslo. And I was with this whole group of reporters uh, that went along on, on this press trip. And I was surrounded by the German press. And we were there. And Robert Habeck was talking about um, the cement plant, which was going to have carbon capture uh, sort of built on a facility built onto the side so that they could uh, capture the carbon from that facility. And the German press was just really fascinated by what was going on. And they were talking about how Robert Habeck had sort of shifted how he used to be anti-carbon capture, but was now in favor of it. And uh, and it was just really, you know, they were just discussing this. And it was so fascinating to see how controversial it was in Germany, uh, while in Norway, it's actually something that's quite accepted. Um, so that really got me interested in the subject. And so I decided that it was going to be something that I was going to follow through the rest of the year. And uh, and I've done that. And then at this point, it was it felt like it was about time to write a story. Okay, well, I mean, carbon capture and storage long associated with the oil and gas industry, but the projects that you and your colleague Petra Sorgo have been writing about are slightly different. How so? Well, and that was what was sort of caught my attention, because I say it has been closely associated with oil and gas. But in this case, uh, it was a cement factory. And that's what we started writing about. And what is sort of a little bit more acceptable in Germany is having these sectors that are hard to abate. So we're talking steel, we're talking fertilizer, we're talking uh, cement. These are sorts of uh, industries where the actual production of the product itself creates emissions. So it's not you can't just plug in a wind farm and and, you know, cut cut the emissions from the facility. Um, and those sectors are really struggling with the challenge of how to address carbon emissions and climate change and meet 
the targets that we set across Europe and the world. Um, and so for those sectors, carbon capture is is looking like one of the one of the best options. And then you have a country like Germany, which is coming around to the idea of using carbon capture, but doesn't really necessarily like the idea of having carbon capture underground uh, under their own feet in Germany. And so then that begs the question, well, where are we going to put this carbon? Well, you have a country like Norway that is quite happy to say, how about under the North Sea? How about shipping it to us? And so that is uh, that sort of introduced this idea of developing a carbon network across Europe. What are the biggest hurdles for making these kind of hubs work? Is there a, a unified approach around this? Well, uh, I mean, I think probably when I spoke to Equinor about this, sort of initially early in my reporting, one of the things they were saying is, you know, the technology for the actual storage and transport is something that we're, that they that the oil and gas sector is quite familiar with. Equinor has actually been doing it since the 90s um, and has actually stored about 27 million tons of carbon under the, the North Sea already at two of their different um, oil fields. But um, it, it's the actual capturing of the, of the carbon at the different facilities, that is something that needs uh, that needs to be sort of worked through. It's, it's quite complicated. It involves often separating uh, the carbon out from the flue gas. Uh, and again, it depends on the facility, um, heating it, cooling it, liquefying it. So that's one aspect of it. Then you actually have the whole transport network. And at this point, transporting carbon uh, dioxide across international borders, it's considered a waste product. Uh, when In this case, it's not in food. Sometimes it's transported for food. But in this case, it's a waste product. And so the legality of that is still not entirely clear. Um, so that's one of the hurdles, the, the, the legal hurdles to actually allow it to be sent across borders. And then, of course, the, the, all the issues of actually laying the pipe and, uh, you know, who's going to pay for that and costs associated with inflation, all those sorts of things uh, all, all come into play. Yeah. I mean, talk to us about you visited one of these facilities, the Northern Lights CO2 terminal. What's it like? Yeah, no, it was, it's, and this is a first. Uh, I mean, this is a global first. That's why I really felt it was important to write this story at this time because it's going to actually become operational next year. Um, you know, this facility, you arrive there, there's a visitor center. It's apparently already had 2,600 some visitors. Uh, these are people, a lot of visitors apparently from Asia. This is not your sort of tourist stop, not your Norwegian tourist destination. Go see the fjords, don't go to this place. But uh, it was, uh, it's a facility that people are really interested in because of, uh, you know, if, if it works um, it, it, you know it, it, it could be quite interesting but you have a you have a basically a, a dock where the ship will come in it's going to be a big 130 meter ship uh, the facility there's four of them being built in China right now so that will dock there it has the it'll have tanks on board it will have come from a facility either a the cement plant or a waste uh, waste uh, waste facility with the liquefied carbon on board that will then get uh, put into a pipe it goes to these different these 12 different uh, containers and then slowly but surely gets pumped through a 100-kilometer pipeline out uh, into a reservoir under the North Sea. So that's about 2.6 kilometers under the North Sea. So, And that's how sort of process happens very slowly. So it's actually quite like a, a tidy, neat, small little facility. They have, they're doing phase one now and then have a phase two planned. But um, yeah, and then it was under snow when I was there a couple weeks ago. But uh, it normally, normally would be in Bergen's wet, so it probably wouldn't have so much snow. Okay, yeah, I mean, it sounds absolutely fascinating. There are critics of this technology, though, that say that it's expensive, ex- extends the life of fossil fuels. How are those who are supporting projects like this responding to those concerns? Well, I think, I mean, the biggest, uh, at this point, I mean, I think the people who are proponents of CCS say we've uh, let 
the climate change come go too far and at this point you have to yeah you know you have to you have to take measures even if you're not necessarily ones that you uh even if it would be better maybe to have abated in the first place um and there's i mean there are the proponents would also say that we know this works i mean um or at least if you look at what the equinor has done in the, in the north sea i mean the the carbon dioxide is sitting under under the seabed and and they have seismic they have sort of a pretty good idea of what it of how it hap uh of of how it how it behaves under the seabed, um, then there also would, uh, would be crit critics around the actual cost of it and whether this is the best way to be using um, sort of scant resources. So, and also maybe there's other options for different for different sectors. I spoke to a to a cement factory and they were talking about sort of recycling cement and and various different options there. But um, that's that's what the the the, the critics would probably uh, pull out as as being the challenges. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.